The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Welcome to Holy Cross. My name is Pete. I'm the pastor here. And we started a new series this, uh, this morning called The Songs of Advent. Um, really fun as we talk about just different uh, favorite traditional or uh, Christmas carols or hymns and, and talking through that. Um, lyrics matter, right? I mean, Christmas is a time of, of spirit and music. It's a time of, of great celebration. Radio stations are already uh, on the 24-hour circuit, uh, round-the-clock Christmas music. Um, we have some bah bugs every year, you know, that hate that, that are uh, resisting it. Um, who's listening to Christmas music already, round the clock? All right, we've got a lot. Um, who's not? Who's just like, who's holding out? Okay, just holding out. What about the tree? Is the tree up yet? All right. Uh, menorah is up yet? I mean, so I don't know. Yes. Dual homes. There we go. Cool. Um, and so... We, we move into the season of Advent, uh, four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, and we give a reflection on the birth of Christ and what it truly means for us today. And as always, the reflection um, is rooted in God's Word and rooted in Scripture as we preach through God's Word, but the description and the, the explanation of, of this we drawn from the lyrics of a popular Christmas carol or hymn. And so these next four weeks, we're going to be doing a good time, having a good time with that. And so aptly named the songs of Christmas. Lyrics are important. The words that we sing are important. And I hope that the songs that we discuss uh, this month will, will never be sung the same way again for you. I hope that you will sing them differently from here on out forever. I hope that you will see uh, the, the meaning in these songs that you maybe even never even thought to stop and reflect on. I hope they'll change you. I hope that they'll expand your capacity to orient your life around the meaning of Christmas, uh, not just around this time of year, but, but all year long. That God has come. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, has come into our world. God with us, Emmanuel, and He will return again to restore all that is broken and dysfunctional and all that is, is hurt He will mend and He will set things as they are intended to be. And have you ever paused to really reflect on some Christmas songs today. You know, I, I love them all. I mean, I, I love all the songs. I love the, the explicitly uh, Christ-centered ones. I love the, the holiday songs, too, the ones that are just about Christmas time and about Santa and about reindeer and jingle bells and all those. Have you ever stopped just to think about how bizarre some of these lyrics are? I mean, here's, here's, here's a popular one, Winter Wonderland. In the meadow, we, will, we can build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man, but you can do the job when you're in town. And you sing the song, and you're like, I don't know what that means, but uh, okay, so Parson Brown, he's this, it's this old 18th century word for basically pastor or Anglican priest, and his last name's Brown, and so this couple is in the meadow, and they're building a snowman, and they're hanging out, and the, the snowman looks at them, and it's like, are you guys married? And they're like, no, but when you come to our town, you can totally marry us. It's like, this is like a schizophrenic, like, couple like talking to the snowman who's like pretending to be their pastor it's it's just really bizarre and so so i ruined the song for i hope i hope i did um and what about the one about the christmas shoes i won't put up those lyrics because i just can we can this one i can't hate this song because it's it's terribly touching but i can hate this song because it's don't go there you know like buying buying shoes for um gosh you're your daddy's wife, it's just very sad, and, and, and it's like, I want to feel good today. Uh, let's, look at, let's, look at this, let's look at this next song. Um, this is your favorite. This is your favorite Christmas song, secretly, Baby, It's Cold Outside. It's catchy, right? This guy is a sex predator. Um, 
The neighbors might think, baby, it's cold outside. Say, what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight now. To break this spell, I'll take your hat. Your hair looks swell. Okay, I really need to go. No stay. This guy slipped her a roofie. I mean, so... <laughs> this girl, you need to get out of there, girlfriend. Like, just run. All right. Lyrics are important. Lyrics matter. What we sing is so important. And the, sing, the songs that we sing uh, when we gather are so important. Any, any time of year, not just Christmas time, but any time of the year. When we sing songs, we don't want to just think about uh, the catchiness of them. Because maybe it's cold outside or winter wonderland or uh, songs about figgy pudding or things. like. You have no idea what these songs are about, but you like them and you sing them because they're catchy. Well, they're not meant to be merely that. They matter. And often we say, I love this song, but do you even know what it means? Do you even know what it's, what it's driving at? It's like, it's like Josh Groban singing songs about Christ the Messiah, and he doesn't even believe, you know, he's, I mean, he's a practicing uh, Jew. And so he, by confession, says, I don't believe this, and yet he sings it with great joy and makes a ton of money off of it. Because it doesn't matter, the lyrics don't matter, it's just a great song that we enjoy, that we buy, that we listen to. But do you believe it? Do you really know what it's saying? It's saying, this is all that matters. That Jesus being born is the only thing that matters in your life. And unless he's your Lord and Savior and King, then then nothing else matters. Oh, but I like the song. But you're, but you're being so inauthentic. Okay, I ruined Christmas. I'm sorry. Okay, our songs are meant to teach. They're meant to instruct. They're meant to point to truth and the hope that we have. And our first song in this series is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this is one of the oldest Christmas hymns that we have. And the first stanza is this, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive, Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This first line is crying out for God to come and visit people, the, the people and rescue them. It is a response to the prophet Isaiah's Scripture that he wrote 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. Isaiah prophesied, in, written down in Isaiah 7, 14, and says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah was a man who God told to speak. He was a prophet of God. He was Prophet for God's people. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. Basically being called and sent to speak the, the words of God to his people. To tell them about of who he is, revealing himself to them, and, and about what is coming. About the future and about what they should long and, and wait for. And he, he was supposed to bring a message to God's people. And the time that this was written in Isaiah 7, Israel, uh, God's people, uh, was in great decline. They were a people in great distress. They were in, it was a horrible time in their life. Their greatest threat was, was trying to survive under the brutal tyranny of the Assyrian Empire. And Assyria had some of the biggest and best weapons that there were. They had the hottest new stuff. They had weapons like the battering ram. And if you had a battering ram, 
it was a big deal. They had 2,000 chariots, and these chariots could carry two, three men with, with a whole ton of, of weaponry. They, were at the, they had the most advanced military equipment that was around. They were like tanks that they had. And by comparison, Israel had about 10 chariots. 10 chariots, and they relied on their wits more than their military strength. They, they relied on their brains and their cunning and their, 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 their trickery. And another big military power at the time that Isaiah was written was the Babylonian Empire. And Babylon, Babylonian Empire would eventually invade God's people, invade Jerusalem. They would exile God's people from their land and bring them into a foreign land where there were foreign gods and a foreign way of life where they were totally unfamiliar. They, they did not have a home. They were in exile. And rightfully, God's people are turning to God in this time, looking at their life in the worst decline that they've seen and saying, God, when are you going to show up? You're our God. When are you going to bring your promise? When are you going to save us? When are you going to rescue us? When will this be? We're your people. You are our God. You've promised to take care of us. And now we are at the hands of tyrants. And we're dying and we're starving and our children are perishing. Where's our salvation? When will it arrive? And Isaiah says, hope is coming. God will come and he will ransom you. And here's a sign that he will do this. A virgin will give birth to a son. And his, chi- and his child will be the God incarnate. He will be God in the flesh. And he is your salvation. He is your ultimate salvation and your ultimate hope. You know what ransom is? This is a great word in our our. Uh, Our carol uses this word, and our scripture uses this word. You know what ransom is? Hollywood has really helped us understand what this is. It's kind of popularized it, even though you've never had to pay a ransom. You know what it is, right? It's a buying back. It's it's rescuing something from captivity, something that has been stolen or uh, taken from you. It is a payment to set free uh, a prisoner or a captive. And God's people are taken captive Captive, literally, they're, they're taken captive. And the Bible says that they're taken captive because of their failure to obey God as he has revealed himself. A failure to obey God's law, a failure to trust in him, a failure to uh, see God as their Lord and to uh, obey him in, according to his word. And likewise, the Bible depicts all people apart from God's salvation in this way, as captive to sin, as cursed because of their sin. They're held captive Galatians chapter 3 says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So the Bible says that, you know, this isn't just a, a, a literal captivity of being held by prison by world powers. It's also a captivity to our sin. That anyone that doesn't look at the Bible and obey its commands in its entirety, we are cursed. We are slaves to a power that is much stronger than us. We are held captive and prisoner. The Bible says we're dead in that sin. We're captive to it. And so Israel, God's chosen people long ago, were held captive literally by foreign powers and oppressors, but more importantly, they were held captive spiritually in their own hearts because they failed to live according to God's revealed will and His law. In His law. And so the book of Isaiah... A lot of scriptures quoted from Isaiah as we think about Christmas and even about Easter. 
The book of Isaiah is a vision of hope for sinners through the coming Messiah, promise for the ransomed people of God for into a new world where sin and sorrow will be, will be forever forgotten. The book of Isaiah and Isaiah's prophecy and this, this uh, Christmas hymn is a vision of hope for everyone who finds themselves captive to the consequence and pain and sorrow of sin and in, and in living in a world where there is much brokenness and dysfunction. It's a vision of hope. And here is more hope that Isaiah uh, writes about in, in Isaiah chapter 9. Just go over a couple more chapters. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment Rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Many of you will write a Christmas card and you'll send out Christmas cards and maybe you'll put that verse on there. Do you know what it means? That this is the hope, the promised hope of all captive to sin, all battling with the consequence of brokenness, all suffering under the tyranny of Satan in this world. This is our hope and our only hope that to us would be born a son and his name would be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And on his shoulders will be the government and it will last forever and his peace will rule forever. There will be no end and God will do this. This is what hope is. This is really what hope is, is that God proclaim something to us to save us and we believe it and we embrace it and we trust in it with our whole entire life. Hope is a great word. It's a great concept. It's a great idea. And I think our English understanding and English language really does a poor job translating this word hope. When we say hope, we don't really mean it the way that it's meant to be understood. When we say hope for, we hope, we, I really hope in something, what we really mean is I wish for something. I wish it will happen. I, I hope it will happen. And that means I intend for this to happen and I hope, I wish it will happen, but if it doesn't happen, I've got a contingency plan in case it doesn't happen. You know, God is so faithful to his promises, to his people, that whenever he tells us he will do something, we should receive it as if it has already happened. 
We should live in our attitudes and our behaviors and our mindset and our perspective on our world should be one as if it has already come true. You buy a lottery ticket and you look at it and you say, I hope I win. Do you go to work the next day? Waiting for the results? Well, of course you do. Because you don't really hope that it happens. You wish it will happen. If you hoped that you would win the lottery, you would quit right then, even before finding the results. You know what I mean? That's what hope is. It is trusting in something. And the difference between someone who hopes with that kind of hope and someone who just wishes is the object of that hope. Well, who has made this promise? God. And when God says something, it will happen. When God promises to restore, to save, to mend all brokenness, to heal all wounds, to dry every tear, He will do it. And we should live and understand and act in a certain way today as if that is already true. As if we've tasted it, that we've seen it, that we believe in it, and we're living our life according to that promise that it will come true. This is what it means to have faith, to have faith in Christ, to hope in God's promise as certain. There's no earthly relationship, no earthly relationship whatsoever that you have like this. Not a closest friend, not a spouse, no relationship that is like this that you hope and believe in the promise of that person to this extent. God's people are in anguish. God's people are tired and scared with good reason. They've been overtaken by, by great powers beyond their control. And they're suffering. They're dying. They're in pain. Real, like real, real pain. And God himself describes, describes his people who have failed to uphold his commands perfectly as people who have no dawn. You hear that? He says, you know what you're like? Because you, you know what your life, your, the condition of your life is like? You're like people who have no dawn. Always night. Always dark. Always shadowy. No warmth of the sun. No light of day. No hope for a new leaf to be turned over. You are hopeless. Our Christmas hymn describes it as the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows. Isn't this bleak? Isn't this really uh, gloomy? This is Christmas. Let's have fun. But isn't this dark? I mean, literally and figuratively dark. It's, it's never light, never, never with hope. And God speaks about Israel's tragic present as if it's something of the distant past. When he reveals who he is and gives his promise, he begins to speak to them as if their present suffering is something of the past. Why? Because look at verse 4 to 7 in chapter 9 that we read. It's each verse begins with this letter or this word for. And this word can be translated as because. And let's look at it in that light. Because God is powerful and he will defeat your enemies once and for all. Every last one of them. Because God will turn all the bad that has happened, all the brokenness and dysfunction that is around, all things that were meant for evil, God will make them fuel for his good purpose. Do you hear what he's saying? He says the boots of the enemies, 
that the garments of blood, of, of spilled blood of God's people, that their clothes are drenched in blood. So the enemy used all of these things for bad. God says, I will use those for fuel for my purposes. Even those horrible things and sorrowful things will be used, will turn out to have a purpose in my good plan. God says, I will restore everything that has been damaged by evil and brokenness in this world. And in verse 6, he says, because. So because God is powerful, because God will, will turn everything on its head and use all bad things for his good purposes, and because a child will be born, because a son is given, because of this gift of divine grace to sinners, Jesus Christ, we have hope in the midst of trouble. The memory of their captivity and their consequence of their failure to obey God perfectly is meant to bring out longing in their heart. As they think about their current situation and they think about their life, they are meant, it is supposed to bring out longing for something better. This song is, is not particularly joyful, is it? We already sang it once, we're going to sing it again. It's not particularly joyful, it has a somber tone to it. The lyrics are somewhat somber, the tempo is kind of down, but that's the point. It's meant to stir our longing for something uh, restored in a healed wor- world. And think about the condition of our world today. It's, it's absolutely a mess. Can you remember a time? I mean, I, I mean obviously I have a, a limited window that I'm looking into my life. But could you remember a time of such fear and sorrow and brokenness and confusion? Could you remember a time of such sadness and loss of hope and uh, a low view of kind of hope for things getting better? Can you remember a time? And I was actually listening to a friend preach uh, a sermon on this, uh, on this passage a few years ago. And you know the illustration he was using to talk about the bleakness of the world? The Sandy Hook Massacre. Someone going into a school and, and just slaughtering children. Can we say that it's gotten much better? I mean, what's our analogy today? I mean, can we, we talk about ISIS. We can talk about Syria. We can talk about uh, Russia, Ukraine. We can talk about our own country. We can talk about uh, Chicago. We can talk about any, all, a handful of different cities where we see brokenness and and anger, and, and killing, and murdering, and, and flared tempers, and quarreling. We can, we can use anything for analogy. And guess what? Next year, we're going to use a different analogy. And we're going to be singing this song, and we're going to be seeing the brokenness in our world, and we're going to be saying, isn't it a mess? And our hope, where is our hope? Our hope is not in government. It's not in antibiotics. Our, ultimately, our hope is in the coming Prince of Peace, the one who will ransom captive Israel, the ones that will ransom our hearts and our souls, and that will ransom our world and will restore everything to its good. In this time in the life of God's people, they were at their worst, and they asked, when? When will you save us, God? And they are given a promise. And in the midst of their mourning and longing for grief, the chorus breaks out in our singing. Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come and ransom, and he shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice! Dawn is coming. God has given us a promise. And you see, God's people are going to wait 700 years. 
700 years. They're saying, great, we're excited. And they will die, and their, and their children will die, and their grandchildren will die, and generation upon generation will pass. But they look forward to hope of this promise. But you know the benefit of this promise, the, how they receive this blessing, the reality of this promise? They could live by faith as if this child had already been born because God's promises are certain. And now we look back on this promise knowing that Christ has come, knowing that historically this actually did happen, that a virgin did uh, give birth to a son and, sh- and his name is Emmanuel. The angel would come to Mary and say, this is what you will call him. God with us, the one who saves, the promised Messiah, our only hope, the Prince of Peace, and mighty God, and everlasting Father, and wonderful Counselor. The song is meant to highlight Isaiah, who's acting as God's mouthpiece to give all people a vision of hope for the coming Messiah. And a truly experienced Christmas. See, this is a Christmas time for us, and that's the point of Advent, to really put ourselves in this story and to create longing in our hearts and hope in our life and reflection on this season. To really experience Christmas the way it's meant to be experienced, we must see ourselves as in Israel's shoes. We must see ourselves in Israel's story. Each and every one of us in their story as if it's our own. And this is how we do this. This is how I encourage you to do it. We need to see our captivity as, uh, as Israel's captivity. We need to see their captivity as ours. Today, the climate of our culture and the climate of our circumstance in your life might seem like they've never been worse. And next year's, promise, uh, next year's problems might be different, maybe better or worse, but they'll be different, but there'll still be pain and there'll still be brokenness. And Israel was under the pain of sin and the captivity of earthly and spiritual powers like they had never seen, and they needed a Savior. And so the question for us is, where are we longing for Emmanuel to come today? You know, in your own life, where are you desiring Emmanuel to come in your own life? Where are you feeling, this is another question, where are you feeling the effects of sin in your life? Where are you feeling the consequences of of sin and as a result, maybe shame or sorrow or uh, loneliness or brokenness? Where are you experiencing these things? Is it a memory of who you are or who you once were that is still carrying with you where you feel guilt and shame about things that you've done? Are you saying, God, come to my marriage because I don't know where it's going to go and I don't know how it's going to get better? Say, God, come to my friendships because I feel at a, at a point of ultimate loneliness that I've never felt before. God, come to my work because I've never felt more unappreciated. I've never felt uh, of more of a, a lack of purpose in my life. I've never felt less valued in my, what I give my hands to. Or, or maybe not even those things, but have you ever been hurt when, you, when word gets to you that maybe people have been talking about you and you find out what they've been talking about and it breaks your heart? Have you ever, have you ever hurt, been hurt in that way? Have you ever been unjustly discriminated? Have you ever been ridiculed? Have you ever never been included or invited into a group that you long to be a part of? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever felt like a failure or a loser? Have you ever felt like uh, unlovable? Do you look in the mirror and you hate the person you see because of who you are and the things you've done? Where are you looking for Emmanuel to come and to restore? 
You know, we must use no word less severe than the Bible uses when it uses to describe our condition without Christ. And that is captive, lost, cursed, dead, cut off from God forever. And it's not supposed to be this way. We're created for relationship with God, but sin in, in, in the world and in our own hearts has alienated for us from God. Because our biggest problems are truly spiritual, our biggest solutions must be spiritual. It must be salvation. It must be in Christ. It must be in God's answer to our deepest longing and deepest need. You see, when God's people, Israel, when they look to God and they look to their prophet, uh, Isaiah, what does God have to tell to us? How do we get better? How do we do things? You know, he doesn't say, you know what, have you, have you thought about uh, changing your life? Have you thought about moving? Have you thought about um, be, being better or, or having a 30-day plan? Or have you thought about just being a better person and maybe God will look on your life with favor? You see, it was well beyond that point. When they said, how, do, how are we going to get better? And Isaiah says, a virgin is going to give birth to a child and he's going to save you. Yeah, well, what do I do? Trust in Him. Look to Him. Put your hope in Him. Stop putting your hope in who you are, in your character, in your record, because you have failed at that. Put your hope in God's promise, and He will do it. He will accomplish. God's answer to man's spiritual brokenness is is not more rules. Isaiah doesn't say, don't worry, your guys are going to be okay. Don't worry, you'll overcome this. Don't worry, you're a good people. He says there's good news. Not good advice, good news. God is coming. He's going to save you. God answers our most core brokenness with a promise of his visit in our life. And And so seeing our own captivity, we turn to Israel's longing. Do you see your own captivity? Do you see your, your own condition in this way? Do you see that this, the loneliness, the captivity, do you see that the Bible talks about sin in this way? Sin is any, just like God's people at this time, any degree of not obeying God's law perfectly, any degree, we become captive to a power that is greater than us. And so we see ourselves captive. And also, we need to also see Israel's longing and it needs to be our longing, our longing. Do you hope for a wonderful counselor in your life? Do you hope for God's wisdom? Do you hope for the Prince of Peace and the mighty God? Do you hope for an everlasting Father to come and, and, and save you? You see, you don't need Jesus to be a person with great hope for a better future. You don't need, to, you don't need Jesus. You don't need to be a Christian to have a, an outlook on life that is positive. Now hear me out on this. But the difference... The difference between a person who hopes in Christ and a person who hopes in something else is the the object of their hope and the credibility of that hope, the object of that hope. And we realize that when we put our hope in ourselves, you know what, I can do better. I can be a better person. I can live a better life. I can meet new friends. I can get a new spouse. I can get more stuff. I can get a better job. We look at, that's the object of our hope is all those things. And the Bible says these are ineffective. They fail just as you fail. They cannot live up to the promise that they give to you, which is pursue me, pursue these things, and I will make you happy. I will restore what is broken. 
But the object of our hope, those who hope in God, in the promise of Jesus Christ, Christ is a steadfast hope. It is a, it is a promise that will come true. What would it look like for you to not wish this Christmas, but actually hope this Christmas? Christmas means that God has answered our deepest longings in Jesus. When the object of our hope is a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace, a mighty God, an everlasting father, then our hope is certain. It's certain. And we can trust in Christ and we can give him our whole life. And with joy, we can then rejoice like our hymn tells us to. Christmas means that God has answered our deepest longing in Jesus. And lastly, we need to identify with Israel in this way. We must see that Israel's hope is our hope. The coming Messiah, both his first coming and his second coming. First, our first coming, God became a man. That he actually dwelled among us. He is God with us. He lived the life that we were supposed to live like God's people from, from forever. We were supposed to obey God's law and we failed to. But Jesus, he came into the world and he was born a man so that he could be born under the same law, the same rules, and he did it perfectly so that he could save those who were also born under the law, you and me. And he died a sinner's death, a criminal's death. He bore the wrath of God that we deserve. The Bible said he became sin who knew no sin so that he could ransom those who were cursed under the law. And he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. You see, Jesus was born so that he could die. This was the point of his birth, to die for sinners and to ransom us from an enemy too strong for us to defeat. It's the perfect record that is the basis of our eternal acceptance with God. And second, we hope in a second coming. The Bible teaches us that, that Christ has come and he ascended into heaven and he said, I'm going to return. And when I do return, I will, I will finish the work that I started. I will restore all of creation. There will be a new heavens and a new earth and they will collide with one another and I will wipe away every tear and every brokenness and I will usher in an eternal life with you where there will be no tears, no shame, no guilt. And we say, what do we do? What do we do for that, to be a part of that? We hope. We hope in Christ, like we've never hoped before. We hope in Christ as the greatest answer to all of our longing and all of our need. Both Literal in our world that is suffering under uh, brokenness and pain and quarreling and strife and war and also in our own hearts where we see that we have sinned and we are captive to that. Hope is the greatest of all emotions. Um, According to the great prophet uh, President Snow from the Hunger Games, you don't know what I'm talking about because many of you don't. So there's a, a highly, widely popular uh, trilogy, a book trilogy named The Hunger Games, popular among 16-year-old girls and your pastor. And, uh, and um, <laughs> President Snow is this tyrant, and, and Katniss Everdeen is kind of the, the heroine, right? She's the hero of the story. And, and he says, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. Because he sees what hope can do in a person. See, a little, a little hope can help you know, be a better person, but, but a lot of hope 
is dangerous because it turns uh, the world on its head. It, it changes a heart. It, it changes a world and a culture. It will completely, radically change everything in our life. And because hope is the only thing that causes us to sing like the Christmas hymn and mean it when we say, O come, desire of nations bind, all peoples in one heart and mind, bid every strife and quarrels cease, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Only hope can cause us to say, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let's pray.